Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. I like you. All right. How you doing, bud? I like you too. Hey, John. All right. <laughs> Sweet people, right? Yeah, do you know what a privilege it is? Um, man, I, I was just at a church. Well, I'll get to that later. But, man, I, 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 see it, I see a lot of churches. I love all the churches. I just really like this one. I love what God is doing here. Uh, and I, I really like you guys sitting out here. Um, if you've got your, your Bibles, I want you to grab them. We're continuing our Rebuild series this morning. And I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll be in chapter 6. We'll be in chapter 7. But then I'm also going to deviate from Nehemiah just for a moment. We're going to be in 2 Kings for a moment. We're going to look at a, a man for a little bit that is very similar to me, to Nehemiah, named Josiah. So we'll be in 2 Kings for a little bit. Josiah is one of, the, one of my personal heroes, which... Uh, Wish I was named Josiah, honestly. Really wish I named my dog Champ Josiah uh, because uh, he may have been more like Jesus. But uh, anyway, um, want to uh, start there. And, and I, I just want to remind you again, and this is something I, I want to get in the habit of doing, but I want to remind you that God wants to rebuild. Do you know this? That he, that he is not being forced to rebuild, that he, we are not twisting God's arm and he's like, okay. Actually, the dream of rebuilding anything comes from God. Okay, so how many people know that God wants to rebuild you? Anybody? Every broken place in your life, God wants to meet you there. He doesn't want you to operate in shame and try to hide it from him. He wants you to actually hand deliver it to him, and he wants to meet you there, and he wants to turn your shame into an opportunity to be more like him. All right, he wants to rebuild you. How many people know that God wants to rebuild your family? You know this? Your family is broken and as chaotic as it may seem. May, you may seem like we will never give it, get it back. It is nowhere near the dream that I thought it would be. That God loves to take impossible places and impossible families and brokenness of family and build them back because that family is kingdom, all right? Businesses and churches and all they, should all, they should all look like family, not the reverse. A family that looks like a business crashes, all right? We're, we're not doing transactional kind of living here. It is family, it's covenant, it is love. God loves to rebuild families to look more like the kingdom. Hello? God, God wants to rebuild your neighborhood. Maybe your neighborhood seems like it's, it's getting more like Satan, not like Jesus. Well, it is time to get out and rebuild. Anybody? And turn your neighborhood into a place where people actually meet and encounter Jesus. Find the broken places and begin to believe God for solutions to them, right? And God wants to rebuild the church. I, I'm, I'm just declaring it is, we are done reminiscing about the good old days of the church, and we are definitely done reminiscing about all the bad, broken things about the church. We have inspected the wall. We know what's broken. It is time to rebuild and believe God for something new in the future, amen? All right, so God wants to rebuild, and we want to partner with him in this. Um, I, I want to encourage us this, too. We, we have to embrace Isaiah 61 and actually become Isaiah 61 people. We, we were the broken. God rebuilt us, and now he's turned the once broken into the rebuilders. That is God's heart, and that is what God is doing in the earth. Okay, all right? So, when uh, an Isaiah 61 people, a rebuilding kind of people, the uh, rebuilders see devastation and they don't get irritated, they get broken and they rise up to build. 
And God is doing that in the church, and he's doing that in our lives. Um, last week, we discussed rebuilding and the reality of opposition. Remember this? Or it, was that last week? I think it was. Yes, it was. Last week, we discussed rebuilding and the reality of opposition. I want to remind you of something here, that if you set out with a God dream to rebuild something that the enemy spent a long time tearing down, it is not going to be easy. The enemy will oppose you. And it's going to be hard. And it's the rebuilders are actually people that know the heart of the Father enough to, to hang in there with the power that he provides to withstand any opposition and see things through. All right? And so we talked about that last week, that it won't be easy. And that if you think that you want to be a leader, you better be ready for some opposition. In fact, when I was at the Moody Bible Institute, I had a professor uh, named Dwight Perry. And he had a class. It was a pastoral class. It was a bunch of people that thought they were God's gift to, you know, to preaching. All right? And all of the, the arrogance and pride that you find at Bible institutions. All right? Before you've actually tried to rebuild and got punched in the face. And he told the class. He said, guys. He said, I want to tell you this. He goes, if you can quit, in other words, if you can opt out and not do this pastor thing, and if you can see yourself doing anything else, if you can see yourself being a basketball coach, if you can see yourself being a crane operator, if you can see yourself selling windows, fill in the blank. If you can see yourself doing anything else, leave now and do it or you won't last. You, you, pastors Christian leaders, people are people that are operating in the call of God, saying, God, I surrendered everything else. I have to do this. The hand of God is on me to do it. It's just not going to be easy, all right? Now, I want to tell you this. I was, I was speaking at an event yesterday in Virginia. It was about a three-hour drive. It was a, a, an Awaken the Dawn event. It was a conference they were doing down there. And I had the, the privilege of going down and speaking to a bunch of, uh, of young people with hearts for revival, uh, Gen Zers. And uh, wonderful people that wanted to see God move. As I was driving down there, I was a little stressed out. When you're speaking, I'm not a conference speaker. I'm a pastor. Right? This is this is what I, this is my comfort zone, if you can call it that. Uh, but I was going to speak at a place I'd never been to before with people I didn't know, uh, and I was a little bit nervous driving down. Um, I, you know, there's these things called uh, traffic lights. You know, one turned to red. Uh, we all stopped except for the, the teenage girl behind me that ran straight into my Ford Maverick, all right? Interestingly enough, since it was a Ford, their vehicle bounced off and went rolling down the street. Mine was fine, all right? So anyway, no, that's not what happened. Um, but I, I, got, I got my Ford Maverick just really kind of crushed a little bit. And um, I remember when, when this car rear-ended me, th this is the honest truth. It wasn't like, oh, no, a Ford. It, was, it wasn't that. It was, here's the first thing that popped in my head. I can't speak at this event. Okay, I can't speak at this event. It's almost like I know it was an accident, but it's almost like the enemy had something to do with it, trying to get me off of assignment, you know? And then I, then I, uh, I remember figuring out that I, I, we could both still drive. Um, I remember uh, my own sermon about there's gonna be hardship, there's gonna be opposition. There, this is a spiritual battle, this is not just a physical one. The enemy constantly comes at us to get us to quit. And I, de I decided that I'm gonna get back in now my broken Ford and I'm gonna keep driving and I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna deliver the word that God put on my heart and I did, all right? This is what ministry looks like. All right? 
The enemy's going to send demonic stuff on assignment to try to take you out. If you live in discouragement, you're not going to last long. You have, to, you have to take counsel with God, be encouraged in his presence, and keep going after what God is trying to rebuild in your life. So Nehemiah chapter 6 now, guys. Um, I, I, I want to read this to us. Here's what is happening now. Um, the, the wall is finished. Look at chapter 6, verse 15. says, so the wall was finished. In 52 days, they finished this wall. What seemed like an impossibility for years, they finished this thing in 52 days. All the nations around, as a result of the wall being fixed in 52 days, that you have to see the miracle in this, all right? The result of the wall being uh, finished in 52 days caused fear in all the nations around. See, all the nations around us were afraid because they realized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Guys, when you set out to do something uh, to, and stay the course for a God dream, you know who gets the glory when it's finalized? Not you, praise. Not me, praise. If we rebuild so the nations can say, there is a God in that church. There is a God in the, the, the I want to know the God of those people. God gets the glory for rebuilding. And so it's beautiful when it's finished. But I, there's a few things from this passage and others that I, I want to see. Here is what happens when we rebuild. And I just mentioned one of them. The first one is God gets glory. You want to give God glory with your life? rebuild things and then just put all attention on him, right? Do you know that the YWAM sings a song that goes like this? I will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten as long as you get the glory. Come on, guys. This is Christianity. God's not, God's not trying to set up us up for glory first and foremost. We exist for his. And that's glorious for us. We, we get to be a part of the whole thing. But first and foremost is we're not first, we're second. He, Jesus is first, and every rebuilding first puts the glory on him. It's so good. But I want to read this to you now, Nehemiah chapter 7, uh, verses uh, 4 through 6. This is, this, I want to start us out, and I want to show us a few things that happen after we rebuild. Nehemiah chapter 7, starting with verse 4, going to verse 6. It says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no, ha now, no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first. And, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. Listen to this. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. Okay, now there's actually a lot there. It kind of seems like that's not really like a, a massive point. But what I want us to see is that uh, it, when there are broken walls down, that means no security and no safety for a people. People don't stay in those places. They find safety and security other places. But when you rebuild walls, what happens is you, you create an atmosphere and an environment where people can now thrive in. Okay, and so, so what is happening now is when the walls are down, there's no people there, just a few but when the walls get rebuilt, now they can say, hey, there's no people in these walls. And in fact, if you, if you look at this, um, um, you, you can also see that while the walls are rebuilt, the houses that people dwell in were not rebuilt. 
okay? And so we, we got the wall, walls rebuilt, we got the gates rebuilt and hung, but we don't have people to benefit from the safety and the security that these walls and these gates um, uh, provide. Now I want us to see that, that when we rebuild, uh, exiles return, okay? People that were cast off for whatever reason, in this case, the people didn't leave because the walls were rebuilt. They, the, the exiles originally left be, uh, not because the walls were broken down and the gates were burned, but they, the people left because they were dragged off by an evil nation that broke their walls down and that burnt their gates. Okay, so they were dragged off like slaves. Okay, but they're returning now because walls were rebuilt and gates were rehung. Do you see this? So whatever can kind of take people out of, out of a people, out of a, out of a community and take them off, even if they're, if they're dragged off by evil, you rebuild walls and you rehang gates and suddenly you provide an environment for people to be able to return and thrive in, all right? So God moves first in rebuilding walls and, bait, and gates, and then he moves to rebuilding houses and neighborhoods, Okay, and we see this in uh, chapter 7, verse 5 to 73. Okay, and I'm not going to read it right now. It is actually the details of all of, of all of the people who started coming back. They're taking notes. They're taking detailed analysis of all of the people by family who are coming back. And do you know why I think we find a lot of these genealogies and stuff in the Bible? There's a lot of reasons, you know, in some situations you want to be able to trace, you know, the, the line of the Messiah back. There's all kinds of reasons, but I think that people just matter to God, right? I think God's like, look at all these people just coming back. I love these people. We rebuilt these walls, not because it's neat, but because I love people and I love to provide safety for them. I love this. And so I think God just loves people. He loves to keep a record of all of them. Every single hair on every single one of these people's head is numbered. And that is out of love. God just loves, God loves people. Maybe you came here today and you don't care so much about rebuilding and walls and gates and stuff. That's not the season that you're in. That's not the place that you're in. Maybe you just came here today because you need to hear that God is madly and wildly in love with you. He just, he, you, you show up in his heart and in his books. All right? He loves you so much. And so God is building walls that allow, that allow exiles to return and build houses and neighborhoods. Okay? That was just really interesting to me. So there's a returning that can happen uh, as, as dreamers set out to faithfully and courageously rebuild. But here's the big one that I really want to spend the, the rest of our time on. It's not necessarily exiles returning, but there's another returning, and it's a returning to the word of God. Okay, in rebuilding, what is massively important and what is not forgotten by Nehemiah, and is, it is not forgotten by Josiah, and is not forgotten by many of the leaders that we find in the Bible that follow God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what we find in the lives and the leadership of these people is that they love the Word of God. And you don't just love the Word of God because you love to study. I know a whole lot of people that love to study the Word of God that don't actually love Jesus. I, I, there's a lot of people that just love theology, but they're nothing like Jesus, and I'm not talking about that. All right, I'm talking about loving God so much that you read his love letter, the Bible. Say, I, I want to know this Jesus, and so I'm gonna get in the word that he left us and that guarded throughout centuries, all right? I'm, I wanna talk about a, a returning to the word of God. So we, we rebuild the walls, 
returning of exiles. And then after the exiles return to rebuild homes, the very next thing that Nehemiah does is he begins to rebuild people with the word of God. All right? The reading of the word of God. So significant because a departure from the word of God is what ultimately brought devastation um, to God's people and then subsequent exile to begin with. They left the word of God. They decided we don't need to, they actually hid the word of God in the temple never to be found again, right? And so they, they left the word of God, which brought shame and devastation and ultimate exile on the people, all right? So God's not giving us his word to make us feel bad enough to obey. God's giving us his word as a spiritual wall that we can't let fall, right? So a returning to the word, there's a, a word for this uh, throughout history, and I really like this, but a returning to the word of God is called reformation. You know that? Have you ever heard of the reformation that happened? Martin Luther, not King, but the original Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli. Do you know these guys? We're going to get to know them, all right? But there's, there's a, returning, a, a returning to the word of God as reformation, a returning to the spirit of God as revival, Okay, and now what happens, and here's what I found as I've been doing ministry for you know, over two decades now, I've found that you get, you get reformers and you get revivalists and they're usually not friends, all right? It's like water and oil. And you get the revivalists, they're the fun ones. They're the ones that are in touch with the spirit and they're happy and they're dancing around, they're blowing stuff in your face and they're praying for you and for your healing and all this stuff. They're just not really in the Bible. In fact, when I went down to, well, not all of them, I, I, I can't throw everybody in that category, but I'm just saying in general, when I went down to speak at this conference, Yesterday, I asked people to open to Philippians. I, it shut down my entire message for almost 10 minutes, all right? People were like, what? Philippians? And I was like, two people had their Bibles. I said, well, pull out your phones. They're like, Philippians, is that Old Testament? I was like, no, that's New Testament. They're like, what's the New Testament? I'm like, are you kidding me here? We, can't, we got revivalists gathered. I want to walk in God's call in my life. I want to be used to do miracles, and that's great, People need to walk in God's call in their life. People need to be used by God to do miracles, but we can't divorce the scriptures, all right? And the same thing is true though. You get, you get reformers or people that say we need to return to the word. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, it troubles me so bad because the word of God opens wide the heart's door to the spirit of God. But for some reason, reformers think that we need to protect the word of God from the spirit. Now that, my, my friends, <laughs> I almost said my guys, like I'm really preaching now. That is like theological heresy. Guys, the word of God opens the door to the spirit. Doesn't, there is no need to protect the word from the spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the word and wants to illumine the word as you read the word. All right? So there has to be a return. This, this has to stop being like oil and water that is divided. And it has to start being like oil and fire. All right? That ignites things and burns. And the one fuels the other. All right, this is what happens when we get back in the Bible, all right? The oil and the fire, and we got torches around instead of just, just feeling miserable, just kind of like all like, ah, I just like all these people, they don't know anything, all right? It is like both of these sides need to stop being sides and need to be the church, all right? We really have to see this happen. So returning to the word of God is called reformation. A returning to the spirit of God is called revival. Both of them are incredibly important and should not be afraid of the other. They're not in opposition to one another. 
And uh, man, I just want to encourage you guys, if you don't get anything from this, I encourage you, if God is burning like, a, like a, a fire in your heart, grab your Bibles and begin to see the fire grow, okay? So what happens when we return to the Word of God, though, is it does get messy. Have you ever seen, like, on, uh, on HGTV, um, someone that buys a house and they find out that the house has, you know, it's like a fixer-upper show? And uh, you find that out that the house has a foundation that is like off kilter. You first fix the, the foundation and then you go to renovating the house and making it an open concept and repainting and doing all that stuff. Because an open concept house with new painted walls, when the foundation is broken, is just broken. Just looks a little nicer. So, but what happens when we return to the word of God is we begin, we begin to usher in, listen, this is, not the, this is not what we think. When we think of opening up the Bible, like this is what we punish our kids with. You get in your room, read the scriptures. You know, like we gotta stop saying, using the Bible as a punishment. How many people know, like we sat under ministries where literally the Bible was used like a hammer to make us feel bad. Guys, that, whoever did that, God loves, I just don't like. You know what I'm saying? That is not how you use the word. What, what happens when the Bible is read is joy bombs go off. That is actually what happens. You usher in joy and celebration. Let's look at chapter eight of Nehemiah here for a moment, starting with verse nine. Uh, and let's, let's just, uh, let's see what happens when the word is presented to the people. It says, Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the, pe- the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the, all the people, now let, let me give you, a, let me back up for a moment here, okay? Um, they have just constructed a big podium for Ezra the priest to stand on. They've assembled all of Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas, all of Judah, in order to read the word of God, all right? Just read the word of God, okay? And so that is what's going on now. And here's what they announce to the people. They say, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They're weeping as they hear the words because they realize that they haven't been walking in them and they've been breaking God's heart, okay? Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way. And this this is the best part. They just read the Bible. Everybody's crying. (laughs) Here's what Nehemiah, the governor of Jerusalem now says. Go your way, eat the fat. Uh, Dramatic pause, please. This is... Eat the fat. And yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Thanks, Caleb. Now, there, there better be, somebody better testify on this next one. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. <laughs> this is, yes. Woo. Yeah, Victor, you like that? Uh, so, yes. The, uh, yeah, I would love to have a conversation about alcohol in the Bible after this, uh, you know, this emphatic declaration of uh, drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day. Listen, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. Listen, this is the, the ministry of the word of God. This is what it is first ushering in. Will there, will there be a time to repent and cry? Yes, but not first. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet. And not, not quiet like you can't laugh and smile and say, isn't God good? Be, be quiet like don't cry so loud. 
for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all, listen, holiness and happiness are the same thing. This is like a travesty has happened in so much of the church where we, we relate holiness to feeling bad, right? That is not what this is saying, guys. Holiness is not feeling bad and happiness is somehow sin, all right? Listen, God is holy, meaning he's better than everything else, okay? And when you get the reality from the gospel that you can have he that is better than everything else, meaning he is more valuable than anything or anyone in all of creation and beyond, and you get to know that I get to know him and have him and belong to him, be adopted into his family, be a recipient of his love and his favor. You know what, you get, you know what happens as a result of his holiness is happiness. Actually, being happy in God is a, good, is a good definition for what it is to live a holy life. I, it, I have reserved my life for not settling for secondary loves, but the primary love that I was, that, that I was purposed for, designed for, made by and for. All right? I've got the number one treasure in the world going on here in my heart. I'm following him. I'm going after him, that happiness and holiness also need to come together. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for, the, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. I really don't believe you guys believe me on that last one. All right, I'm feeling it in the air. No, no joke. I just, uh, you should go wrestle with the scriptures on that one. And I, I think that you'll get happy. And all the people, verse 12 went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Man, when you understand what God is saying, you get silly. You get happy. You, you, you might even roll on the ground a little bit. You may, may even cry and laugh. God's talking to me and I understand it. Guys, it's not that complicated, guys. Let's get happy again. All right, so you usher in joy and celebration. So this is what the word does. There, there is great rejoicing, um, and, and, and yeah, I, there is great rejoicing. But here's where it gets a little bit tricky, all right? Because what happens when you return to the word of God is joy does come and celebration does come and freedom does come. You're like, I get to know God, and, and there's that reality, but there's also this opportunity for renovation that comes. And I mentioned the HGTV, you first fix the foundation, then you renovate. And I know it can be a happy time, but it can also be a time where you have to dig up your foundation and relay it. It can also be a time where you have to, you have to clear away all the clutter, all the stuff from last season, all the stuff that was built wrong. And you have to clear all that stuff away, and it's not always fun. It will be good, but there are seasons of renovation that the Word of God brings. Now, if you have turned to 2 Kings, this is where we find one of my favorite guys, Josiah. He's one of the youngest kings to ever uh, be king. He, was, he became king at eight years old. His granddad was a man named Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the worst kings among God's people of all time. He completely turned his back on God. He completely introduced to Israel and Judah and all the people a pagan, idolatrous worship, guys. And he brought all that stuff in. He just green-lighted it all. But then we find Josiah, who he's not walking in the footsteps of his granddad. He's walking after the heart of God. 
We, we find him now here where we're going to read in, in 2, 2 Kings. We, we find him now as a 26-year-old young man, grandson to Manasseh that totally corrupted Judah, but he's not following after his granddad. And, and what happens here in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22 is that he is in an attempt to find money in the temple. He sends Hilkah, the high priest, into the temple. Hilkah, the high priest, comes out with money, but he also comes out with something more priceless. And it's, it's the word of God that had been hidden away for years and years and years and years. All right? So uh, Hilkiah finds the book of the law, and they read it to Josiah. And Josiah now, as a 26-year-old man, after ruling, like, talk, talk about, like, you know, in over your head, being a king at eight, and now he's 26, and somehow everything is still together, but it's not going after the heart of God. And here, Josiah, when he hears the words, I want you to guess what he did. When he hears the word of God, he pulled in Nehemiah. Because he saw this as a problem, and he, he began to tear his clothes as a sign of grieving, and he began to cry. Okay? So Josiah, when he hears that, that we are not following God, Josiah, it breaks Josiah's heart. Now this, in my opinion, is the key to great leadership, where he's not angry at other people, he's not blaming other people, he doesn't, he doesn't throw Hilkiah under the bus, like, you're the high priest, this isn't my responsibility to the book of the law, like, you need to tell me, off with your head. Like, this is not what he does. He doesn't get frustrated, he doesn't blame shift, he doesn't, he doesn't throw other people under the bus, he begins to weep and cry, and he begins to repent for his whole country, guys. All right, and so uh, jo Josiah re responds by tearing his clothes and weeping. It's a sign of grief and repentance. And then what he does is he gets, he gets wise counsel from a prophetess named Huldah. Now, it's interesting that he goes to Huldah because there's two bigger prophets of the day, and that would be Jeremiah and Zephaniah, okay? And he doesn't go to them. He goes to a prophetess. Now, just let that sink in. The greatest king that ever governed, even Greater than David, greater than Solomon, the greatest king that ever governed uh, God's people, when, he, when his neck is on the line, he goes to Hulda. All right? Think about it. And then what he does is he assembles all the people under his care, all the leaders, all the people. And what he does is he reads them the word of God. And after he reads them the word of God, he makes a covenant, a covenant on behalf of all the people um, but, but he leads the charge in this covenant making and he makes a covenant before the Lord to follow God as the king and follow God as the people with all of our hearts. We're gonna do this with all of our hearts. Guys, God, we haven't been following you for decades, but now we, we covenant with you that we're gonna follow you with all of our hearts. Then here's what he does. He totally annihilates, okay? He totally annihilates every object of pagan worship in his kingdom. I want us to see this. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna read a chunk of scripture here. This is now 2 Kings chapter 23, starting with verse four. It says, and the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the, and, uh, and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal. Baal is a false god. And for Asherah, Asherah is Venus, okay? And for all, the, not Venus the planet, Venus the goddess. And for, and here's the thing, like we say, oh, Baal and Venus and Asher, yeah, that's how silly, it's not real. No, they're real demonic beings that receive people's worship. That's why when you dabble with the dark arts, you're dabbling with real stuff, okay? You're dabbling with real stuff. 
And so these people were, were in it over their head and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, and that, that is a town, and carried their ashes to Bethel. Verse five, and he deposed the priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, those also who burned incense to Baal to the sun and moon and the constellations and all the host of heavens. And he brought out the, the Asherah from the house of the Lord. The Asherah would be like a, a big uh, pole, like wooden, uh, you know, object that you use to, to worship Venus. He brought it outside Jerusalem to the, to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust upon the graves of the common people. So he, he's not only destroying, but desecrating idol worship. Okay. Verse seven, and he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord. There's male cult prostitution going on in God's house. All right. Where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. So we got the Male cult prostitutes doing their thing, and the women are just like, like creating blankets, all right, in God's house. Verse 8, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left uh, at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or daughter as an offering to Moloch. Guys, this is what's going on with God's people, all right? This is going on today, all right? You actually hear the word Moloch a lot now. I said, have ears to hear. That Moloch is a demon that takes your kids as sacrifices, all right? On, on video games, all right? I, I, I'm not like anti-video game and stuff, but I, I'm, I'm wise enough to see that this stuff just didn't stop with Josiah, all right? And here he moved the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. And guys, it, it, goes, it goes on and on and on where Josiah takes all of these things going on. And actually, let me, let's jump to, to 20, uh, 24 just for one second. Moreover, moreover, Josiah put away mediums and the necromancers and the household gods. A necromancer is, uh, is someone who basically spiritually raises the dead so you can communicate with them and it's real. All right? So this is like people trying to talk to the dead, you know, because you need a hug and because you miss somebody. You're welcoming the demonic into your life. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish. Listen to this. What, here's, why is he doing all of this stuff? I'm not reading this because it's interesting or scary. Why is he doing all this stuff? He's doing all this stuff that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found. In other words, they found the Bible. We're going to reestablish everything we do on the foundation of the word of God. And there's just no place to sacrifice children to Moloch in the word of God. It's not from, you, you don't do that, guys. There's no place for male cult prostitutes in the house. You don't do that. 
We're getting rid of all this stuff. We're not just removing it kindly. We're desecrating it all. We're driving it into ashes, and, and then we're just sending it into the wind. This is what we're doing. So this is what the word of God actually does when it's lived out. And we see this. Josiah is doing this like, like nobody else has ever seen. In fact, the Bible, do you know what the Bible says of Josiah? Look at verse 25. Before him, there was no king like him. You hear this? Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, nor any like him arise after him. So do you know who came before Josiah? David, the man after God's own heart. David doesn't hold a candle to Josiah. No king afterwards. No, Josiah, the young king. See, it, your age doesn't matter. Do you know what matters? Your heart for God. Am I going to go after God radically with everything that I've got? Am I willing to stand in the face of op opposition and stand, though I'm hated, by people but not by God? Am I willing to just do what God says? And the word of God will get in you in such a way that it will renovate yourself and your world. And it's not going to be easy. But sometimes rebuilding requires renovation, tearing down of what stands opposed to God's heart and then rebuilding in a way that is not in contrast to God's heart, but in proper alignment with it. Do you know that, that in, the, in the Bible, this is one of my personal things, there's no scripture that says it exactly like this, but I think of most of what we wrestle with has already, the answer's already been given to us in the scriptures. We haven't walked this road alone. There's a great cloud of witnesses that we find here that had lives that were wild. And we see God meet them here and we can say, oh man, I'm going to benefit from the legacy from the family that I'm in. And that God is, wants to speak to us in the pages of scripture. And then when we get a word from God, because God does do that. If we're in the word of God, we can recognize, was that from God or was that from something trying to sound like God? Right? But you have to be in the Bible to help, help Figure it out, guys, all right? We're all allowed to make mistakes. But Josiah, he, here's one last thing that he does, but he, he reestablishes the Passover. And the Passover is massively important. They had lost the Passover. The Passover, remember when, when Moses is being used as an instrument of God to bring Israel out of Egypt, and the Passover is when they sacrifice a lamb, they put it over the doorpost of the houses, they stay in the house, and when the destroyer comes and sees the blood of the lamb on their house, it passes over and does not harm the people inside the house. This Passover is pointing to the cross, okay? And we're coming up to Passover season. Do you know that Jesus what hung on the cross during Passover because what lambs in the Old Testament were pointing to were Jesus, the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. And Josiah reestablishes the, the Passover and he's calling people to remember God's heart, remember God's sacrifice, remember God's might again in our people. And all of this is so important because any rebuilding that God uses you to do must be sustained and empowered by God's word. Our human tendency is to hide the word in a back room and do life on our own, like, and we think that's freedom. <laughs> but it's actually the guardrails that allow us to drive fast. <clears throat> you see this? 
when there's no guardrails up in life, like that is where the danger comes. When the guardrails come up, say, no, no, like in a football game, you can't, you can't run through the stands and everything. The game is played on the field and boundaries. And that's where, that's where the magic can happen. All right. So this is God's word is saying, hey, this is my heart and this is how life works best. And I want joy bombs to go off in your world. Stop trying to play in the stands. All right. So any rebuilding needs to be sustained by God's word. Our human tendency is to try to do life without it. That's just called sin. We think that we know more than God. And so what I am encouraging us to do today with my last moment is I'm just returning us to return to God's word. Just return to God's word. I, I, I'm, I'm blown away, slightly concerned. Okay? Actually, more than slightly. About the, the lack of just basic daily reading of scripture that we do as God's people. All right? And I just want to encourage us, guys. Not shame us, but I want to draw us and entice us and invite us back into this love letter that God has given us that shows his heart and it will make us laugh and cry. And, and, and will make us fall madly in love. The lovesick lovers read love letters. This is just a love, a, a love letter for the lovesick lovers of God. And God is calling us back into it. Um, so I, I would say, that I don't want to just tell you to, to read God's word, but I would give you some advice to decide what time of day you're going to read it. And then before you open it, invite the Holy Spirit to come and wreck you with it. All right? And then I would eliminate distractions. I know for me, I've, I've got a slight obsession with Julie True right now, who's just like a prayer room worship leader. It's like, it's like you go up and down to heaven and back and stuff when she plays, you know? And I, I, I put on some Julie True. Actually, it's not a distraction. It focuses me on the Word. I just invite the Holy Spirit to come and move, and I say, God, and I read. I get blessed. Sometimes it's like sparklers aren't going off and everything, but I've been in God's Word, and I got a taste of Him, Okay? So you eliminate distractions. I also, I make coffee. I've got a, a routine. I get up early. Like I was up this morning at 5.15. And the first thing I did, I even prepared it the night before my coffee. So I come down, I turn on the coffee maker. All right. Don't wake up the kids with the grinder. All right. And I, and I, uh, I turn on my music. I get my coffee. I'm sipping it. I'm, I'm saying, Jesus, what's up? Jesus, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm, I'm friends with God. And I just talk to him. And I get in the Word, and I just read this love letter that he gave me, and I just cry, and I laugh, and I write things down, I take notes. You should always read the Bible with a journal, prayers, questions, just, just reading the Bible, just, Holy Spirit, what, is, what does that mean? My, I don't know that. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to have to ask somebody. I'm going I'm to take that to my, you know, I'm going to take that one to Lou Halstead. That's one for him. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to take that one to Keith. I'm going to take that one to Heather. I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to be, I'm a part of a community and I, I, I want to, you know what happens when I actually understand the words like the Levites taught the people is I laugh and party as a result. And I want to live that kind of life. But also I would, I would say this, Josiah really modeled what it is to repent for not being in the word. So I would say read the word, but re repent for not being in it. All right. Do it with tears in your eyes and a smile on your face. All right. This is not, this is not a spanking. This is a repentance. This is coming back to the heart of God. So the repent of, of welcoming stuff into your life that God had nothing to do with. And it actually came into your life and messed you up and then you got angry at God for, for when it went south, all right? And, and I, would, I would do this, I would repent, but I, I, not, not rationalizing re repentance. Do you know what rationalizing repentance is? 
well, God, you know, like, I know I did that, but you can understand, <laughs> you know, I was tired, you know. I know I shouldn't have watched it. It is a horrible show, God, but, you know, like, I, I, I just, I, I was sleeping on the couch and I woke up and it was just on. So we, we rationalize all the time instead of repenting. Yeah, let me tell you when I did this once, I, I was a, a student, at, uh, I was a Bible school student, studied, I got to, the privilege of studying the original languages, Greek, actually not the languages, just Greek. I never went on to Hebrew, but uh, I was uh, really over my head in my Greek course, but I was a youth pastor and a worship pastor at the time, and what I would do is on Friday, after all my classes, I would grab uh, a bundle of clothes, my guitar, and my songbook, all right, because nothing was digital back then. This was, this was like, you know, 1998, all right? And I was in Chicago, and I walked uh, a two-mile walk through Chicago to Union Station, jumped on the, uh, the train, rode two hours out to, like, the Fox Lake area, if you know the Chicago land area at all. From there, I was picked up by the pastor of my church who drove me right to youth group, and then I'd preach, and I would just read, uh, I would lead Reformation, Revival, and Youth Ministry. And it, it actually, guys, it was happening. It was, it was wild, wild, crazy stuff was happening in those days. I'd get up the next morning, and I would lead the worship band in worship. Then we'd have a Saturday night service, and then we had Sunday morning service, and then I was absolutely depleted and exhausted, and they'd put me back on, a, on the train. I'd ride the train back to Chicago. I'd walk all the way back. I'd walk in because I have no money. I didn't get paid for this gig, guys. Gave years of my life to Didn't get a dime at least for a while, walked all the way back to the Moody Bible Institute after trying to be, be uh, you know, gang assaulted, robbed, sometimes successfully. I was like, I have no money. I'm, I'm a Moody Bible Institute student. We don't care. Give me your shoes. Give me your food. Then I get home, and then that's when I did my Greek work. That's when I did my school work after I was completely exhausted. And so the time came where I had a take home Greek test and I had no time to study. And here's, why, here's, what, here's the deal, the bargain I struck with God. All right, I said, God, I'm serving you with all of my heart. I've had no time to study. I'm gonna help you help me. And I'm gonna do my Greek test with a Greek lexicon. Now I didn't say leprechaun, all right? I didn't invite a leprechaun in and say, hey, do you know this? Like, I don't. Can you help me out? A lexicon is a, is a book that helps you translate the Greek language into English. And so I did my Greek assignment with the lexicon, okay? Which I knew was wrong, but I did it anyway. Because I made a bargain with God. And the Holy Spirit did not let, I, I, I turned in the, the test. I got a good grade on it. And the Holy Spirit would not let me sleep for days. And so I did the scary thing is I called up my uh, professor and I said, actually I called his assistant. She set up in a time with uh, me to meet with him. And I walked into his office and I, I just said, I, I've cheated in your class. I told him the story, I used the le lexicon and he changed my grade. He said, what do you think you would have gotten on it? You got like a, a 92, what do you think you would have gotten on it? I said, oh, maybe like a 57. He goes, I'm gonna give you a 70. Okay. So I walk out of the, and he said to me, as I'm walking, leaving his, his office, he, he says to me, doesn't it feel great? Doesn't it feel great to have the burden of, of this stuff just off of you? And I walked out like, kind of like, I don't know, like levitating a little bit, just like happy. I got a, I, I didn't get a 57, I got a 70. It's called grace. <laughs> My teacher doesn't like me, but Jesus does. And guys, so joy bombs go off when you receive grace. 
And guys, so I just want to encourage you to today, like, the best thing you can do is just be honest about what's going on and let the Word of God act like a piercing sword to get to the places. Be honest about it. Give it to God. Repent. And let joy come in. How many people need to let, to let joy come in? Anybody? I know we do as a church. We need, we need to look much happier than we do. And so, Heavenly Father, actually, let's just stand to our feet for a moment. Let's just put our, our hands out in receiving posture to receive anything that God wants to give us today. So, Heavenly Father, I, as we stand to our feet, just at, like the people of old did when your word was read, we just stand to our feet, God, and we just put our arms out today. And we say, whatever renovation we need by your word, we want, God. We want. We want. As painful as the process may be, renovate us. As embarrassed as we're going to be, renovate us. Clear out all the stuff. Relay foundations. Let joy go off in our hearts again. Reestablish grace in our lives. Put us on the right direction after your heart. Let love come alive again. Let affections come alive again. Let them make us silly again because your word is doing what it does. We pray this, God. We want this, God. We desire this, God. Just, just take a moment just to tell God what, whatever it is that you've welcomed in as a false idol. I want you to drag it out of your heart right now. I want you to pound it to dust in God's presence. And you say, God, I want you back. The room that this was taking up, God, I want you back in it. Just let him know that right now. How do you do it? Getting on your knees, jumping up and down. Just receive the love of God. Receive the grace of God. Receive all. Receive the word of God. Receive the spirit of God. I want to just touch you. The, the beautiful thing about God is he just wants to bless you. He just wants, he just wants to bless you. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. But it's going to produce fruit. It's going to be a blessing, guys. The best thing that you can do is, is just give him what you should have never had. Give it back. Give it back. Let the word of God, just Holy Spirit, use the word right now to pummel people's hearts. Get, get to places in hearts, God. Point things out. And with love, pull those things out and replace them instead of, the, instead of what's, what's garbage with what's treasure. I pray, Father. And bless your people. We need you today. We need you today, Father. We just welcome you to come and move. We believe that these are days of revival and reformation. We want them both, God. So restore them to our hearts. Bless this church. Bless these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.